Each year, at our annual The Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, we explore ideas around a theme. For instance, at our 2018 gathering, our theme was heritage and innovation. In 2019, the theme circled around the relationship between the heart and the hands. At our upcoming gathering, March 20 through 22nd, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, our theme is perception. And to bring this idea into focus, I've spearheaded this theme with a quote from William Blake. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. William Blake was an English poet, printmaker, and painter, born November 28, 1757 in London, England. Today, he is considered one of the most important figures in English poetry and art, although during his lifetime, his work remained largely overlooked. And this is not an unfamiliar story for makers whose genius surpasses their times and leaves the work of discovery to historians of later generations. We could make mention of Claude Monet, Emily Dickinson, Edgar Allan Poe, or Bach. In fact, many of the artists we've highlighted here in this Artist Profile series have lived similar lives of obscurity as they struggled to maintain faithfulness to their prophetic creative visions. It's near cliche to discuss the plight of the eccentric genius living in obscurity until death raises him or her to fame. Although many times, this stereotype proves true and William Blake is no exception. During his day, many of Blake's contemporaries considered him an eccentric and a lunatic. His writings were spiritually and politically lethal, and publishers shunned his works for fear of being accused of inciting insurrection. However, if I were to catalog a list of the artists, poets, and musicians who cite Blake as their source of inspiration, this episode would feel much like one of the endless genealogies of the Bible. Contemporary poet and musician Patti Smith heralds that William Blake is the spiritual ancestor of generations of poets. And it is certain that William Blake fueled the creative fires of the likes of Bob Dylan, Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, John Lennon, Bono, and Jim Morrison who named the doors after the quote I cited at the beginning. The landscape painter and contemporary of Blake, John Lindell, said that Blake was a saint among infidels and a heretic with the Orthodox. He lived during the Age of Reason, but was a relentless advocate for the power of the imagination, equating it with the realm of the numinous and the eternal. As a child, William Blake possessed strong artistic and spiritual sensibilities. At the age of nine, he reported to his parents that he had seen a tree filled with angels. And were it not for his mother's protective hand, his father would have lashed him for telling such elaborate lies. Concerning the arts, his father seems to have been a bit more tolerant, and he enrolled young William in art school at the age of 10, where he learned to sketch human figures by copying those of Greek and Roman sculptures. As a young man of 17, Blake continued his pursuit of art by apprenticing as an engraver. Under the mentorship of master engraver James Bazier, Blake learned the skills which he would eventually use to develop his own unique process of what he called illuminated printing. In his illuminated printing, 
Blake married painted images and poetry into elaborate and painstaking works of art. His most well-known books, Songs of Innocence and of Experience and The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, were first printed using this method. The images in these books depict scenes of angels and celestial figures which he had witnessed first in his mystical visions. In fact, Blake's illuminated printing technique came to him in a vision, which he says was delivered to him by his dead brother Robert. Blake communicated the vision to his wife Catherine, who aided him in his bookmaking, and she spent their last bit of money purchasing the materials needed to do the work. Making these illuminated manuscripts was a slow and tedious process using etched copper plates to print pages he would color by hand. This made each copy unique with individual irregularities, but the difficulty also meant his works were never widely circulated. He made his living for a time working as an engraver and illustrator while simultaneously creating his passion work after hours. In her book on William Blake, author Kathleen Rain tells us that artists who work for quick success must rise on a tide of fashion or possess social graces intact or private means. Blake had little interest in making money. He despised the popular trends of art and fashions of his day, and so it is no great surprise his chosen path led to no quick success. This was a painful acceptance for Blake, who like any artist desired to find an audience and make a livelihood from his authentic work. At times, he seemed indifferent to his lifelong obscurity and financial difficulties, while at other times, it seemed to deeply burden him. In a letter to a dear friend, Blake commented on this situation. He said, I am more famed in heaven for my works than I could well conceive. In my brain are studies and chambers filled with books and pictures of old, which I wrote and painted in ages of eternity before my mortal life. And those works are the delight and study of archangels. Why then should I be anxious about the riches or fame of mortality? The Lord our Father will do for us and with us according to His divine will for our good. In another letter, written three years later to a William Haley, Blake tells him that art in London flourishes, engravers in particular are wanted, Every engraver turns away work that he cannot execute from his superabundant employment. Yet no one brings work to me, he says. I am content that it shall be so as long as God pleases. Later in this same letter, Blake complains about his work being inferior to a young engraver of whom he says, How is it possible that such a fop can be superior to the studious lover of art can scarcely be imagined? Yet such is somewhat like my fate, and such it is likely to remain. Yet I laugh and sing, for if on earth neglected, I am in heaven a prince among princes, and even on earth beloved by the good as a good man. This I should be perfectly contented with. But at certain periods a blaze of reputation arises round me in which I am considered as one distinguished by some mental perfection. But the flame soon dies again, and I am left stupefied and astonished. Oh, that I could live as others do in a regular succession of employment, 
this which I fear is not to be accomplished in me. Forgive this dirge-like lamentation over a dead horse. And now that I have lamented over the dead horse, let me laugh and be merry with my friends all till Christmas. For as a man liveth not by bread alone, I shall live though I should want bread. Nothing is necessary to me but to do my duty and to rejoice in the exceeding joy that is always poured out on my spirit, to pray that my friends and you above the rest may be made partakers of the joy that the world cannot conceive, that you may still be replenished with the same and be as you always have been, glorious and triumphant dweller in immortality. Blake's childhood visions of angels and encounters with apparitions continued throughout his life. He spoke of having conversations with biblical prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel, the angel Gabriel, the Virgin Mary, and other religious figures. He developed a complex and personal mythology based on biblical symbolism and his understanding of imagination as a spiritual reality everyone possessed. Blake considered himself a follower of Jesus though he opposed conventional Christianity as he saw it being tied up with governmental power and oppression. He felt that he had to create his own systems of theology and spiritual understanding, lest he become enslaved by the corrupt religious system of the establishment. He said, I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. I will not reason and compare. My business is to create. Blake's inspiration for this way of thinking seems to be Jesus himself, whom Blake considered a poet of the highest order, not conforming to any man's systems, religious or other. At the end of his life, Blake was working on a series of illustrations for Dante's The Divine Comedy. His final works included images of heaven, which he would not complete before entering into heaven himself. He laid in his bed, and before taking his final breaths, managed to sketch a portrait of Catherine, then sang a hymn of his own creation about the eternal bliss he was preparing to enter. William Blake died on August 12, 1827. When I set out to write this profile on William Blake, I admittedly had little idea what a complex and ingenious artist I had chosen to pursue. After studying his life and works over the past year, it became all the more difficult to choose what aspects of his life and art to focus on. Even as I close this short glimpse into his life and work, I am thinking of all the things I could have shared with you, his advocacy of women and children and racial equality. I could tell you about his poem, Jerusalem, or his idea that Jesus and his apostles and his disciples were all artists and that the Old and New Testaments are the great code of art. I'm tempted to labor on about his vision of seeing the rising sun as an innumerable company of the heavenly host crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or I could tell you about his mood swings, his depressions, and his fervent inspired fits of productivity. But what seems to stand out to me most is how Blake shines as an example for artists to remain true to their vision and not to pander for popularity or forego their true passion for temporary satisfactions. I'm inclined to encourage you with your own mystical encounters and experiences with the presence of God. 
for the work of bringing heaven to earth is a slow and tedious creative process. It is one often misunderstood by our contemporaries and perhaps one considered too dangerous for publication. Yet a lifetime of faithfulness, never selling out to the popular or the temporal, will prepare the way for generations to come who will witness the shining glow of a heavenly, authentic art. I'll leave you with William's own words. To see the world in a grain of sand and to see heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hands and eternity in an hour. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and leave us a kind review on iTunes. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for ticket links to the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering and information on how you can support the podcast by joining our creative collective. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art. Thank you.